whatever it takes I know I can make it through A Degrassi Podcast With Kelsey and Holland too I know I can make it through Hi, and welcome to Whatever It Takes, a podcast about Degrassi, the next generation. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Holland. And today we have a special episode for you guys. We actually got the opportunity to chat with Degrassi producer Stephen Stone. Who you might know from all of the freeze frames. (laughs) (laughs) Or his name, anyway. Yeah. Um, He just had a new book that was released in March called Whatever It Takes, where he kind of documents his like his entire life in the entertainment business basically from when he like graduated college and went on like a European or not even just European excursion with his friend um, in a VW bus all the way to becoming an entertainment lawyer and all the way to becoming involved with Degrassi and the music scene in Canada. Um, So I guess without further ado, here's our interview with Stephen Stone. All right. Hello, everybody. Um, We are here with Stephen Stone, producer of Degrassi, writer of his new book, Whatever It Takes. Um, Welcome to the show. Well, and thank you for the plug on the book. (laughs) Of course. We're big fans of the title, so. Yes, obviously. Um, and I guess we can start with the title of the book. Um, it is obviously the name of the theme song that you wrote for Degrassi. And you talk about it a little bit in the book, but could you tell us a little bit about the writing process for the original theme song or maybe a little bit the recording process for the song? Yeah. And so the, the phrase, you know, making it through actually <laughs> held a special resonance to me. Um, But when we, the actual writing of the song, there were three of us who uh, were sitting in a studio and my idea was actually something very different. Um, I'm a real fan of Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. And they did a song called Be True to Your School at school in the sunshine in California. And so that's what I brought into into the session. And we tried that and we liked the idea of having a chorus behind it. But, you know, my idea of a fun Beach Boys song wasn't really going anywhere. And I think it was Jody or, or one of the others. We just started to gradually get into the um, into the concept of, well, what are we trying to talk about in Degrassi? And that's when, when the title came up. And, and then the song kind of wrote itself. But, of course, we echoed that choir effect by having way back in season one that, that children's choir in the background. The classic, which is... <laughs> I think it's me and Holland's favorite iteration of the song, but do you have a preference? Because it did evolve like as the seasons went on. It, it gets a little bit different as it goes on. I really like that one. And we did a, and you may know it, we did like a three-minute version of it where we added a middle part. Um, a, a fellow writer and a rapper named Evren, Evren Ozdemir, um, wrote kind of a rap section to the song. And, and that actually went out on a recording. And I kind of liked that version. We made a joke about it because we, we called the, the that version whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did 
I don't know if this was a rumor or if this got spun into my head, but did Alex Johnson of Instant Star record one version of the theme song? Oh, yeah. It was several seasons. She did. And um, I think we used essentially the same version. I think it was about three seasons, maybe even four that she sang. Uh, we, might have, we might have changed the, the backing, uh, you know, the instrumentation just a tiny bit each time. Uh, but but it was her vocal. Uh, yeah, I think at least I, I think four seasons. Oh wow! Yeah, I think uh, on the show we go episode by episode and kind of talk about each episode. And I think we're in the Alex Johnson theme song years right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and speaking of songwriting, you talk a lot about your the history of your kind of musical past, whether you were playing songs for a crowd of three on your excursions with Christopher Ward or whether or where you're representing awesome people like Katie Lang or the Cowboy Junkies. Um, so I wanted to know if your kind of past in the music world had an influence on how many bands were actually featured in the show of Degrassi. Well, no, absolutely. And I, I will say in producing the show, um, Linda is very involved with the writer. She doesn't actually write anything, so to speak, but they pitch her storyline, she reacts, and then um, I don't generally even read scripts unless there's a problem and Linda comes to me and says, you know, wants some objective outside advice. I don't get too involved in the, uh, in the individual scripts. Yes, the arcing for the season we talk about and where we're going to go, that's a large topic of conversation, but the individual mm -hmm. scripts, generally, uh, if things are going well, the first time that I'll hear it is actually at the read-through, about uh, four weeks, three, four weeks before we go to camera. And most of the time, after the read-through, uh, just the writers and I and Linda, maybe the director, will sit down, and everybody looks at me because I'm sort of the fresh um, ears, the fresh eyes. And most of the time, I'm able to say, oh, you're doing fantastic. You know, here's, I, I try and keep my comments limited to, you know, three or four comments. Uh, you know, here's where I lost attention. Here's, you know, I, I, I was confused at this point, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But you've done a great job, carry on. Sometimes I'll say, oh dear, <laughs> I, I think we need a page one rewrite and here's why. And you know, I'm not engaging with the characters. I just don't believe what's going on. And people really listen to me then because you know, they generally, I don't say that. And, but it's amazing what they can do. Okay. I've gotten way off track in talking about <laughs> that's, that's just to say that on, on that side of the creative, I'm not, uh, you know, I have a role, but it's not a day-to-day -day role. On the music, I love getting involved right down into the weeds, day in and day out. And uh, whenever there's music in a show, even if it's just, you know, one of the kids playing something, or uh, if we're going to select music, we have a, you know, a meeting to discuss it, you know, probably about six weeks in advance. Are we going to try and get a special song? Are we going to write something? Then as the rough cut comes in and the fine cut for the show, that's when we start to really get down to the nitty gritty of trying to figure out uh, where we need composed music, where we need outside music. And very importantly, by the way, I'm, very, I'm, I'm fond of the saying, 
no score is score. In other words, <laughs> not having music is sometimes music in and of itself because uh, just having silence in the background can sometimes really make, uh, make some dialogue pop. And then going on through the entire sound mixing process. So yes, I'm, I'm very involved in, in that side of the show making. Um, do you have a personal favorite Degrassi band that has appeared on the show, whether it be Downtown Sasquatch, uh, Stoods. Stoods, Janie and the Stoods featuring <laughs> Peter Stone. Janie and the Stoods featuring Peter Stone, PMS. Um, we're just coming up to um, where Maya is joining Moe's band, so we don't know anything about them really yet, except for that Maya's like kind of a badass with the, the string instrument. Yes. But <laughs> do you have I a favorite band? Well, I know I have to admit, Stoods is not one of my necessarily all-time <laughs> Um, now, but we did use, did we not, also, I can, as I started to say this, you may correct me, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we used a Stude's version of the theme. Oh, yes, you did. You, did. you definitely yeah. did. <laughs> and maybe, maybe for a couple of seasons. And yeah, uh, I, yeah that wasn't a bad version. I really liked the Alex Johnson version. Um, the Stude's version, yeah, that was, that was up-tempo and rocking. The band... Uh, I loved way back in the day was Hell Hath No Fury. Yes. Yeah. I really love that one. <laughs> yes, when they came out with their anti-Craig t-shirts and all that. Yeah, that, that was kind of cool. They, they weren't on for a long time, but it was right. for a time. <laughs> yeah, we actually also wanted to ask you who you thought the true winner of the Battle of the Bands in Rock and Roll High School was, because we always thought that it should have been Hell Hath No Fury, but maybe that answered the question. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we, I still, to this day, wish that I owned a, a Hell Hath No Fury flaming Craig t-shirt. Actually, in our logo, um, one of our listeners commissioned some art of us. That's our logo now. And in it, my cartoon version is wearing a Hell yep. Hath No Fury oh, shirt. Good for you. <laughs> Mine is wearing a Degrassi drama shirt, which I think is equally appropriate. Yes. <laughs> well, that, that's good. That's one that I could wear. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and we also have a segment on our podcast where we discuss the title of the episode each time because more often than not, it is named after a song. And originally in Next Generation, it seemed like they were exclusively 80s songs and we were kind of wondering how the naming convention started or was it an homage to the fact that the original series ran in the 80s do you know can you offer any insights into that yeah it was the writers and um i'm not sure which writer actually started it but it um it just became a thing and um and it became part of the uh, part of the pitch uh, when when the story is pitched to linda uh, it would generally have the title and and there would be like a, a beat. We call it a beat sheet, which is a, a one page description of what's going to be in the episode. And even at that early stage of the script, uh, they would suggest. And, and it's it sort of when you're trying to come up with titles, it's sometimes really difficult. Whereas mm -hmm. if you say, oh, you know, songs of the 80s. Oh, I really like such and such. Oh, but that doesn't really go with it. And, and then you sort of think about it. It's kind of a fun game to play to come up with the title. Right. I'm, just, I'm I'm sorry that we don't carry on doing it. The um, you know the hashtag is it was sort of cool at the time I think, but it's it's maybe had its day. 
Well, it's a, yeah, it's a different kind of generation within the next generation, I guess. So it does, I guess it made sense at the time. We haven't actually gotten to the hashtag episodes yet. Yeah, we haven't started. We watched um, the reunion episode of Next Class, but since we are going in order and we do two a week, we are now up to season 12. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're, we're moving along, but <laughs> we're not quite there yet. Um, okay. do you and, ha- and are you like, are you like once a week? So you'll be in about um, 40 weeks, you'll be getting into the meat of uh, next class. Oh, we do oh. two a week. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so possibly sooner. I haven't done the math yet. We're just kind of trucking along. Yeah. <laughs> it's been quite a journey. Um, do you have a favorite episode title or whether like the title fit perfectly with what happened or you're just really stoked about a specific song you really like, like making it to the ep- making it as a title? Um, no, I mean, my my favorite episode, I mean, uh, it it's like having children. Uh, right. you, 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 you must love all episodes equally. Um, having said that, um, and I was saying this to somebody else uh, about a month ago because they'd asked, well, what's your favorite episode? And uh, I mean, I always mention episode number one because, you know, that uh, sorry, this is of the next generation. It was really fantastic. Then over the first two seasons, we had some episodes that we look back at and either laugh or cringe depending on... <laughs> On your point of view, oh I mean, that Toby, Toby doing laxatives, and there was one, uh, and, right. and there was one where Liberty was wearing a cape, um, you know, which were which are not highlights. Let's put it that way. Um, definitely, and I in the book, I, I write a lot about the Time Stand Still episode, and, and I think that a combination of a title and an episode that's pretty perfect. Because uh, you can imagine that moment as the gun goes up. There are many moments that you could imagine. But in that moment, um, yeah, truly that iconic shot where you see Rick, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Jimmy, you know, running away and the, and the shot totally. is fired. I mean, yeah. truly when time we, does stand still. We did actually, as we were growing up when the original, like, first few seasons of Next Generation were airing, we definitely watched them in real time. Like I think we were both in middle school when that episode came out, and I definitely have a vivid memory of watching that and being just on the edge of my seat. And the we talked about it on our episode recap how Jimmy's like curdling scream still like oh it haunts. I it, just got full body chills. You just, just saying. <laughs> It's one of the most like poignant moments in yeah. I think the show's history and it's definitely one of the most memorable storylines and the chapter in your book really dives into it and it was very interesting and it was like a thrill to read the kind of behind the scenes of how the episode got created. Well, and as you know from the book, um, and I get chills, you know, on the music side mm-hmm. um, when with the rooftop song just at the very end, because, you know, there aren't a lot of words, um, you know, in terms of dialogue that you can say after something like that and just allowing the music to play, um, you know, totally. that's, very that's where I get my chills. Final scene to that kind of storyline. It's 
and there was such a good build-up too. I could talk about time standstills forever. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, well, and, and you know, we can right. talk about it in in today's context um, because it, it's about bullying, and you know, so much is about bullying these days. Whether it's Harvey Weinstein, whether it's Donald Trump, uh, and of course the shooting itself. The, I mean, the Parkland survivors to me are are the heroes. I mean, they. The Generation Z, the, the young people who've been born in the shadow of, of 9-11, um, you know, they're going to save the world, I think. You know, we, we seem to, when I say we, I'm not including you in that, my generation, you know, we, you know, growing up in the 60s where we thought we were going to save the world, and we didn't. I mean, the world's a, in a kind of a mess now. Um, but if anybody's going to save I it, I think really it's agree. that, yeah, uh, that Parkland generation. It's, it's kind of incredible to watch. Yeah, but and, and, but it's so much of it comes back to bullying. Um, whether it's a you know a, a, in so many of these stories, like the most recent shooting, where um, the guy it sounds like he was on the football team, but he was bullied, and then the the very recent one where his advances were spurned, and anyway, he whether he was bull, bullied or not, that the atmosphere is there. Uh, of course, the, the most chilling thing was listening to some of those kids in the in Texas who uh, were just talking about they were expecting stuff to happen just right. because it happens so often now. There's so many shootings. They just sort of said, well, one day it will happen to us. That's really chilling. I, I, I'd like to think there's more hope than that, that, that we can move away from that, that we're, we're starting to address the atmosphere of the bully, the bullied, and the bystander, as I talk about in the Time Stand Still chapter. Um, but it's, it's uh, yeah. yeah, well, anyway, all, all, all the, mm -hmm. the, well, the storylines in the grassy well. are kind of timeless. There's been, like, there's, and you guys really, like, were very groundbreaking in some areas, yeah. like, with trans issues, and there was, there's just, there was always a lot of diversity in Degrassi. There was, was that something that you guys, like, kind of made a conscious effort, or were you just like, no, this is how the world is. We need to be inclusive and tell stories that people aren't necessarily telling right now. Uh, it's very much, and, and, and Linda was a driver in this. I mean, the mantra was, if it's happening in the schools, if they're talking about it in the corridors, even though you know they may not be talking about it at home or it, it may be whispered, we need to be talking about it on the show. And, and of course, Toronto is a very um, diverse place. So it's natural when we shoot here to, to have a very uh, inclusive cast. Um, kind of to get out a little bit of the heavy stuff, um, uh, we were wondering, was you? I think you had a question about cast members having a huge impact on either the storylines. Yeah, so you talk about auditions a lot and how like sometimes you guys would tweak things if you really liked someone. I was wondering if there were any um, like actors in particular who you ended up basing some character traits off of, like just based off of knowing them a little bit better. Or also if any of the cast members maybe gave suggestions for storylines based on their high school experiences. Well, and this sort of comes at it from the maybe a different way, but the one that's most amazing to me is um, Adamo, Marco Del Rossi. When we cast Adamo, um, we sense, I mean, one of the things we really look for is the ability to be vulnerable 
and and it's hard because you're you know you're in an audition for you know maybe three minutes and you know you, you've got lines that you've been rehearsing all night you're nervous but if um, if you can get there and be it's a combination of fearlessness and vulnerability if that's possible there's just something and maybe not even using the right words that you can see hey this there's something authentic that's coming through. I guess that's what I mean by, you know, being able to be vulnerable in the moment. And then usually the director who's there at the audition will then ask for a different kind of take, not because uh, the first take wasn't good or whatever, just to see how an actor reacts to uh, to suggestions. Can they incorporate it? Do they, uh, or, or or do they fight it? With Adamo. Um, he came across really well, and we were thinking of this character that, um, you know, was going to be gay and gay bashed. We had no concept that Adamo, and I, I'm not even sure Adamo had a concept that he was gay. Mm -hmm. um, and the storyline, as you know, because you've gone through the the arc uh, over over, right. you know, I think three seasons. Uh, Adamo first comes out to Ellie um, and, you know, because they, they think they're boyfriend, girlfriend, and then it's, it's just not happening on that level. And so he comes out first to Ellie. Then eventually he comes out to his mother. And then finally he comes out to his father and he comes out to his mother in the kitchen. And then it's at least several episodes later, if not uh weeks or months later that he, that he comes out to his father and his father initially is not uh, not really down with this. But in real life, that is exactly what happened to Adamo. He came out to his friends first and he actually did come out to his mother in the kitchen of his home. This was, uh, mm -hmm. you know, life imitating art. And, and he did not come out to his father for about six months after that. Now, when he did come out to his father, his father was very supportive really nice guy his his father was but um you know it was amazing how um i guess in some ways the writers uh, the director who was in at the audition may have sensed that um that adamo was gay certainly i will say that as as we got on he didn't admit to us that we knew he was gay after a couple of years you know we we knew. So when he actually came out to us, it was like, well, what took you so long, dude? And of course, we, we, were, we were incredibly supportive. But that's, the, that's um, really, really uh, an example of, of where the two became very close. And what the writers do is they, they play on an actor's strengths and, and they, they just write more uh, more in that direction. Same is true with with Miriam in the early days. I mean, Miriam and Emma really are, in in, in many ways, sort of one and the same. And that's partly because uh, the writers sense what works: the uh, the comedic timing, the the vulnerability, the you know the brightness, and just and just start writing towards the uh, uh, towards the actor. Miriam, you recently had a conversation with her for the uh, Degrassi YouTube channel. And you had mentioned that one of the biggest regrets of your life was actually the Emma Spinner marriage storyline. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind is, of. Is that not one of the biggest regrets <laughs> I mean, of your you life? I know that Emma and Sean really <laughs> end up together. Forever. In our brains. <laughs> 
I think we've written several like fan fictions in our head about how Sean comes back from the war and like sweeps Emma off of her feet and like takes her away (laughs) from Spinner or something. (laughs) Now here's here's the one thing, and I I may have hinted to it. It was maybe in another interview, or maybe it was when I was talking with Miriam. That if you think about it. And, and and this is something which is a you know a good way of approaching life. When you see two people who are together and you say, "Oh man, that's that's never going to work out," or or you you sort of think, "Why is she with that person, or why is he with that person?" It really, what goes on between two people in a relationship is between them, and we can't really know what's going on. We can't know the interplay of weaknesses and strengths and where the secret supports are. So is it possible, you know, if we ever do a, a, a reunion kind of episode or maybe a long form or something like that, which I'd love to do, th- this is one of the stories that you do. And the obvious <laughs> one is exactly the one that you talk about, you know, Afghanistan, and he looks really cool. He comes in on his motorcycle and, <laughs> you know, it's sort of game over. Tracker. <laughs> but yes, yes, that's right. Um, is it possible, though, if we think of real life, let, let's lose the Degrassi fantasy a little bit. Uh, you know, that Emma and Spinner, they have their problems, but as in real life, you know, they sort of work it out. And they start to realize over the years that, yeah, maybe it was crazy what they did, but they actually do work together. <laughs> I mean, they're still um, together in the reunion anyway, episode, so yeah. clearly they're making it work. I want to follow that, and I don't know how it would end up, but I, it may not end. For years, I thought exactly like you. Oh, yeah, it would end up with, uh, you know, uh, Sean coming back and Sean and Emma forever. But maybe uh, maybe that's not meant to be. Maybe really, you know, Emma and Spinner can make it happen. You know, have a kid and, yeah. It's also fun to kind of end on a place where you wouldn't expect with like a Las Vegas wedding that actually turns into true love. Yeah. Um, having said that, <laughs> I would have done it differently at the time, but we'll, we'll have to see what happens in the future. Uh, speaking of another controversial coupling, how did you feel about Kevin Smith coming in and breaking up the Joey and Caitlin relationship? Well, first of all, I love Kevin. I mean, I mean you see, I don't think of Kevin as having broken up the relationship. I, th- I think th- there may have been some cracks. There may have been some things going on, maybe beneath the surface. And maybe he was a catalyst in bringing out some things mm-hmm. that were really were really there anyway. Um, you know, and it was such a joy, of course, working with Kevin. Um, he's, uh, he, he's a remarkable person, by the way, he's, you know, you you think of Kevin Smith and you think of this brash comedian who's just so quick and, you know, on top of the world, um, as, as is the case with many people who are famous, um, he's actually in person when he, when he's doesn't have that, you know, on mask on, you know, suddenly there's a camera there and there's, there's a reporter in front of him. He's, he's very introspective mm-hmm. and, and you might almost say even shy. Um, no, it's, uh, it, it amazes me sometimes these, um, 
these people we have, whether they're actors or, or musicians who we think are out there and they're almost, you know, invulnerable and, you know, completely confident. And yet in, in real life, they're actually real human beings. That's so nice um, to hear. I, I'm a big Kevin Smith fan, especially like being from New Jersey and like having like a big 90s movies thing. But you guys had so many amazing guest stars, so I'm sure you got to meet some really interesting people. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd place <laughs> Kevin right on top like of the list. A, though. Like the nicest, coolest guy to work with. And you mentioned in your book how he was originally supposed to direct Jurassic Goes to Hollywood and how he still kept trying to help even though he's, his schedule became less and less available and able to do so. And, and of course, he ended up, I, I think... Uh, all we saw him was right. on a computer uh, Skyping in to, uh, to, I think it was probably only like three scenes. He was still very, very he funny in those three notch. very He's short scenes. Him and Jay. Um, I think we only have a few more questions because we don't want to take up too much of your yeah. time. But um, my my big one, for me anyway, um, I noticed like you definitely maintain some relationships with some people like the actor who played Rick. And, you know, there were some people like Sinead Grimes who left maybe like before their graduation date would have been. Was there any actor who like really affected you by deciding to leave the show? Maybe you felt like their storyline was unfinished or you were just like especially sad to see them leave? Well, I had to when you're when, when you work with people now, I wasn't on set every day, but I was there at the read-throughs, you know, I was there, you know, we'd negotiate contracts, you know, I would drop by set and say hi, and, you know, over a period of four or five years, you get to know people at very formative time of their lives. And so when we would do a graduation episode, uh, the writers um, always managed to do it of course, it would come near the end of the series and they would make it, you know, usually the final episode of the series. And our production people would have us shooting the, you know, the scene with everybody there would be one of the, if not the last scene that we shot for the season. So I, so that day I would always be on set and <laughs> I am a crier. I cry. I cry music sessions I cry and and you know people look over at me in music sessions and if it's a if it's a sad melody and I'm not crying they just say <laughs> no say no more you know we'll rewrite <laughs> uh, um, so there's no question I get in tears not with you know a specific actor or actress um, but um, when, when they're leaving I'm sort of there and then you know one of them will start crying I'll start crying and then everybody's crying and, uh, you know, and then they go off because you realize, you know, in Degrassi itself, they're graduating. They may not see each other in real life. They're graduating and they're heading off into uh, into different, uh, you know, a different sphere of their lives. And, yes, it's great when uh, when they come back and and, you know, maybe you can work with them again or you see them in a, you know, in a party or something like that. I'd like to do more get togethers to have. Uh, have more of the cast, you know, just sit down and have a mm -hmm. uh, have a few laughs about the old days. So I, I'm not going to pick out one in particular. It's uh, it's it's very emotional uh, those those right. scenes it when they you know, when the cast like, graduated. We just we're so sad to see our friends leave. We used to give character eulogies as people would leave the show. 
um, from when we were when at the point that we were watching it. So we could kind of have a thank you for everything that you brought to this character and to the show. And we're sad to see you leave. <laughs> Goodbye, Nina Dobrev. Like basically. <laughs> Good. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It would. It would have been great to have Nina on the show for a little bit longer. Um, my my one regret for not having a character on the show for a little bit longer uh, was Aubrey. Um, and not because he was, mm -hmm. you know, becoming famous and he, and he is who he is now. Um, and I forget whether I mentioned this in the book, but I was a real supporter. I, I said that I don't really get involved with stories, but there was one story that I really was hoping would happen. And I was really pushing for it and it, and it didn't happen in the end. But it, it was the story of Jimmy going off with Trina. Remember, uh, Trina? I forget her name, you, uh, a girl, Trina. Yeah. Yes. And so she would remember she was going off to have stem cell surgery in Germany because at the time, and I think this was the George Bush era, stem cells were kind of, um, it was new uh, and, you know, well, yeah, it was controversial and, you know, there was a lot of thought that you shouldn't be doing it. Of course, now they're much more ex accepted, but we wanted to do that storyline. And in my and I actually talked with somebody in the Degrassi cafeteria. He was playing an extra on the show. He had had stem cell surgery. He was unable to walk and he was walking and he had stem cell surgery. And when I sat down to say hello to him because I, I hadn't recognized him. So I thought, oh, I'll sit down and find out who this is. The story really, really moved me. So I really wanted that, I guess it would have been season eight to end with Jimmy going up on stage uh, in his wheelchair and then getting up and walking across the stage to get his diploma. And, I you know, I, my eyes get moist just so thinking about it. I'm sure I would have cried um, the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And I do, I believe you do talk about that in the book. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that that would have been amazing. Okay. It seemed like it was hinting at yeah. that being a possibility. They did they did talk about it. He was like saving up or like he wanted to use some of his college fund. It was it was a little while ago for us. Right. I'm like I'm like honestly really proud of myself that I remembered who Trina's name was. So. I, yeah, I'm impressed with that as well. <laughs> yes, good. Um <laughs> And by I um, I think I've been very <laughs> good in this conversation, but I'm really random. Some, I, I sometimes I remember the character name and sometimes the actor name. And even when I'm talking with them, and they just they just roll with it, and you know, understand that, you know. I mean, there are so many. <laughs> that's names their name to for remember. the day. <laughs> um, and I think <laughs> I just had a couple other questions specifically about the book to kind of wrap things up. Um, recently I read in an article that CBC radio called you the Forrest Gump of Canadian pop culture. And in the book, you actually talk about how your editor told you that nobody would believe like half the stories that you ended up actually putting in the book because they were so unbelievable. But I was wondering if there were some stories that ended up not making the cut that you now wish had been included in the book. Um, there are, I, I don't, I think the answer to that is no, I don't regret having left some stories out because I've tried to select the stories to have 
a kind of a theme and and you know you'll have, mm -hmm. having read the book you'll you'll know what the themes are you know setting goals and and uh, and things like that um, but for every story that's in the book there's easily a dozen other stories that are out there but some of them you know that they, they're interesting but not interesting i mean they may show me in a good light you know oh i helped do this and help that person but but they wouldn't have really advanced some of the themes uh, in the book. So, yeah, so I've been really blessed to have a whole series of really, really fun encounters with a lot of amazing people. Um, mm. I, I don't regret um, – the, the only thing that I regret about not telling some of the stories is, you know, because some of these people are so amazing. One of the you know, entire – areas that uh, is not in the book really is things like you know marrying linda i mean we had a fantastic wedding that oh i could gosh. describe it was a, it was a circus themed wedding it, it was amazing we we had um you know mini putt golf on the beach because our home is uh, is on the beach and uh, with the four stories of balloons rising out of the water and uh, uh we, we had uh, you know those uh, kind of carny wagons where you come up and kids shoot water pistols and if you knock something down you win a plush toy well we had all so it was set for free and and a whole mess of things like that it was it was a fantastic wedding well it's it's fun to talk about but um you know and it could something like i could have been in the book but i wasn't really making the book about a lot of the personal side of my life which which i could do i mean maybe there's another book in it for that um, yeah, so my only, uh, I, I don't have any regrets, but I do know that there's so many stories that, uh, that could have been told. And, and it's, and it's not that they weren't told because, uh, you know, I can't mention names or somebody looks bad. I mean, there's a way to tell stories, even if, uh, um, you know, w without making people look bad. I'm not into the symbolism side. Um, it's, it's just that, you know, they're there and I've led a blessed life to um, have so many. Speaking of the themes of the book, you do talk about a lot of kind of your approach to success and how important failure is in kind of the road to achieving your dreams and achieving your goals and knowing what your goals should be. Um, could do you have an example of one time where you had a great failure while working on Degrassi that ended up turning into a great success story? Well, I mean, I did talk about one of them in the book where in season 10, Degrassi was <laughs> canceled really and chapter. nobody knew. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, there's nothing like, you know, the adrenaline pumping through your veins to, uh, to get things moving along. Um, there are, the, the reason that sort of failure is important is, and I, I may or may not have sort of made this point really in the book, is if you're not failing, you're not, you're not pushing yourself outside of, of, of a comfort zone. I mean, I, there were lots of times, you know, I, we, we tried different things uh, in the early days. We tried an interactive version of Degrassi that was a colossal <laughs> failure, you know, where, where people could select A, B, and C on their on their remotes and, you know, different things would pop up. And we realized, oh, no, that just takes away from the drama. It pulls people out of the story. So we learned from it. 
and, and, and moved on. But one of the nice things about failing, particularly in the entertainment <laughs> world, is nobody knows. <laughs> um, you know, when you fail at something like that, it was failing means that not too many people watched it. So, uh, so you, you just move on. Um, the LA complex story in the book where, you know, we debuted to the lowest rated numbers in the history of us primetime television, um, and still managed to get ordered for two more seasons, um, is, uh, even though we did, we weren't able to produce the third season, you know, to me, it's just amazing. It was just, um, you know, Martin Garrow, who I was working with, and who, by the way, uh, I don't know if you watch Blind Spot or the ABC series mm -hmm. Deception. Uh, he he does both those series. He's the showrunner in both those series. He's really brilliant. Uh, he and well, of course, he wrote the um, the foreword to the book. Um, it was fantastic working with him, and um, I mean, you asked a question about a you know an example in Degrassi. You know, in a sense, they're, they're sort of all the way through that sometimes, oh, actually, here's a good one. Um, in seasons, after season five, I may get my seasons a little bit wrong. We have our really well-loved characters and they're going to graduate. So what do we do? We don't want to lose the characters. So we follow them into university. So for two seasons, we follow Emma and uh, we follow Marco. We follow um, Lauren. Um, right. <laughs> and a page, I mean, and we follow them into, uh, you know, their university life or their post high school life, whatever that is. And the ratings just started to come down. And, and um, Teen Nick, who I think was still called the N at the time, or maybe they were called Teen Nick by then, came to us and said, you know what, uh, Degrassi's probably had its day, you know, you know, seven years will be a long run. We can sort of wind it down and, and let's start developing some new series. And we did. And that's when Instant Star came out. Um, but we looked at that and thought things are not going well. We're, you know, maybe failing is a bad word because we're, you know, the ratings were still solid. and We were producing a fairly a good show, but it really looked like it was the end. And so Linda and I just went to the writers and we said, you know, you, you've been talking for a while about building up new younger characters coming in, but you never have. You keep falling back on telling stories about, understandably, these people that we know and we love. It has to end. If we're going to go out, let's go out in style. You've got to bring in a whole swath of new characters and we've got to start seeing if we can get the audience invested in them. And that was sort of the start of the Eli Claire era. And um, we decided, you know, high school is what this, what we're about. High, it's different when you're in university. Um, in high school, if you miss a class, that's a big deal. You, you know, your parents know about it. You know, there's consequences. In university, you miss a class. Who cares? So it's, it's a different it's a different view of life and we've got to get back into just the high school thing. So we said goodbye to, um, you know, our beloved characters from the, uh, the early days of the next generation and went on to new ones. And the audience reaction was, this is horrible. You know, we can't stand it. Where are these other characters? And by week four, they'd fallen in love with the new characters honestly, and the ratings like, started skyrocketing. You guys skyrocketing. Did a good job of that because, you know, we grew up with the original 
of the next generation so they're like so beloved to us and like these are our friends that we've known since we were 11 but we like every single time we're at first we start off two episodes where we're a little hesitant about these new guys but then i mean season 12 we're already on board for tori and tristan and maya like we're here for it <laughs> and we've become hardcore eclair shippers no, in that's the process <laughs> yes well, <laughs> you and me write too, the drama so well. well. They're so dramatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all the questions that we have for you. Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk with us. It was such a great time. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm still like so excited that we got to do this. Well, yeah. This is really great. Oh, no, it's fantastic. And I really enjoy these conversations, particularly since <laughs> undoubtedly you remember more about the show than I do. Than I. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to me because we'll sometimes do tours of, uh, you know, of super fans and, uh, you know, we'll walk around. They'll say, oh, this is where that happened. And this is where that happened. And they'll go, oh, right. Yeah, you that's talked about right. how in I the book think. where you had been misidentifying the hallway spot where Jimmy had gotten shot for years or something <laughs> oh I, I was i was absolutely convinced that i had the right and stephanie cohen just said to me no 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 it was over here and you know when i was doing it i would sort of reenact i would become jimmy i'd say and here's i'd fall down onto the ground and great drama and everybody would take pictures <laughs> and i had the wrong corridor that's so funny <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we don't want to take up any more of your time, but thank you so much again for coming on the show. It was so much fun. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you both so much. All right. That was our interview with Stephen Stone. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. It was I real fun. We were able to keep our fangirling down. A little bit. Maybe at the end we were like, oh, my God, thank you. But I don't know. I think it was fine. Yeah. We had a really good time. So thank you again to Stephen for taking the time. And you guys can find his book, Whatever It Takes, on Amazon, all, all anywhere you can buy a book. But actually, if you would like to potentially win the book, we are going to be kind of doing a raffle giveaway um, for the book. And Kelsey, you came up with an idea for how to do this right yeah <laughs> not to worry for once I did homework you guys okay so the game plan is basically just share this interview you don't even have to share the whole podcast just the this episode um on any social media of your choosing you don't have to do it a bunch of times as much as you feel like twitter facebook if you want to do like a screenshot and post it on instagram anywhere social media um, and then just like take a screenshot of your post, send it to us, and we're going to use like an online generator to basically pick a name out of a hat. So there's no favoritism. Just as long as you share it and let us know, then you might win this really fun book that was like my commuting buddy for the past week. Yeah. So. so you can either send us a screenshot of that via Twitter or our email which is at Degrassi pod or our email, whatever it takes podcast at gmail.com. So either just send us proof that you did it at either of those, or I guess if you just retweet 
the link that we post with this episode in it will count that as well you, you could to, also do that you don't have to send that to us if you just retweet uh the link to this episode we'll we'll put your name in the hat yeah absolutely that's probably the easiest way to do this <laughs> yeah but just in case because not everyone has twitter if you're more comfortable with facebook or instagram right exactly yeah um, but that is all that we have for you guys today. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, that's it. But I think it's pretty great. Um, but, um, I guess you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Hollandtacular. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kelsucks with a Z at the end. We're recommending the book. We are hardcore recommending <laughs> Whatever, Whatever it, takes. it Takes by Stephen Stone. Um, and that is all that we have. Thank you, as always, to Jay for our wonderful theme song. Thank you again. We've said it a billion times to Stephen Stone for being on the show. And thank all of you for listening. Goodbye, Panthers. Bye, Panthers.